Right. We go from talk of moving to Maui to uh, wives and husbands. So, isn't that exciting? We are uh, in Ephesians, and we're actually uh, pretty close to the end now of our study of Ephesians. Uh, we will we'll be back, by the way, we'll be back uh, at the rec center in Landa Park next week, and we'll take a short one-week break from Ephesians, um, and then we'll finish up actually the following week, and then Advent is just around the corner. So we've, we've kind of blown through this. I hope that it's been uh, as fruitful for you as it has been for me. One of the things, I was talking with a friend the other day, and, and she was saying, you know, Oftentimes, and this is the way that I've spoken about it in Ephesians, is really the first half is kind of full of all of this indicative, right? And then the second half is full of all of this imperative. And so we have all of this wonderful good news about what God has done in the first half of the book, and all of this good news about now what do we do with that in the second half of the book. But sometimes we can kind of think about it like it's divided, like it's like it's one thing on one side and one on the other. And so once we get past the first one, we're on a horizontal kind of plane here, and we just now we can kind of get past that when we talk about the stuff that we do. But that's not the way actually that the Apostle Paul deals with it. He deals with it more like it's a house with two stories. And the second story is that imperative part, but it's built on the first story of the indicative, and it's always there. And you can even hear him talking about it all of the time. He never lets go of it. The, uh, the imperatives of the gospel are always built on the indicatives of the gospel, and they never go away. So with that in mind, I want you to hear now the way that Paul talks about how we, as Christians, are to be acting in some of the most intimate spaces in our lives, in family, in marriage, in our home life. This is what he says, starting in verse 22 of chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And we're going to stop there for today. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, when we come to your word, we come as those who sit under it. You are the authority, and we are those sitting under that authority. We pray that we would be changed by your word. We pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, open our ears and our eyes, that we might see what you have to say to us this morning. And, Lord, even that we would come to know you and to love you more deeply, we pray that you would do that work by the power of your Spirit. Lord, will the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight? That is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this is the uh, this is a passage that instills fear in both preachers and, and listeners alike. Uh, we're jumping into really some of the most controversial things in the Bible, things that are oftentimes talked about. But before we do, I want to just kind of lay a foundation for us. There's a concept that actually runs through what I just read and even into the next couple of portions. Paul works this out not only just in marriage, and then after this he, he talks about parents and children, and then after that about um, about masters and servants, and I hope that in your community groups you'll be able to work through kind of all of those things. We're going to focus primarily on the marriage portion today. But it's this theme that really runs through, and this is the theme, is that authority and vulnerability are supposed to go together. Those two things are tied deeply together, and in fact they are both part and parcel to what it means to be a human being and a Christian in order to flourish in God's word, both authority in God's world, both authority and vulnerability. There's a book that I highly recommend. I feel like every week I give a little, uh, I'm not on the payroll of any publisher, I promise you. Uh, but a book that I love called Strong and Weak by one of my favorite authors, a guy named Andy Crouch. And in this book he talks about these two words, authority and vulnerability. And what he talks about is that in order for us to be the people that God made us to be, there has to be both a high level of authority and a high level of vulnerability. And this is how he defines those terms. So authority he defines is, is the, the capacity for meaningful action in the world. The ability to make something out of the world. Right? That's our power to be able to do something with the world around us. And vulnerability is, is really the capacity we have for meaningful risk. Alright, so, so our exposure to meaningful risk, that's vulnerability. And what Crouch does is he lays out kind of a two by two diagram where he says, okay, the goal where human flourishing takes place is when individuals have high authority and high vulnerability. Where we are exposed to, to both the greatest capacity for meaningful action and actually the greatest exposure to meaningful risk. And he kind of works through the rest of those and see if I can kind of paint the picture here for you. If you have, if you have high authority and low vulnerability, that's the picture of really, really every system of injustice in our world seeks to have that. To have a few people who have high authority and no vulnerability, right? So I have all the authority and, and no risk at all. That makes me actually almost always prone to exploitation. If you kind of go over across the top where you have uh, low authority and high vulnerability, that's just the opposite. That's a person who is exploited. That is a person who is suffering. That is a person who is oftentimes abused because they are completely vulnerable and they have no authority. They have no capacity for action. And if you go down kind of into this bottom quadrant, what you have is the absence of both. No authority, no vulnerability. And that really is the way, the way Andy Krauss describes it as somebody who has just kind of retreated from the world. It's the picture of the 31-year-old living in mom's basement and she still does his laundry. That is the person who has no real responsibility, no capacity for meaningful action in the world, and really no risk either. They're just kind of living life in this detached way. What we're called to, though, is what Crouch says, is this level of high authority and high vulnerability. To be both those who can make something of the world and those who actually uh, are exposed to a level of risk. So here's what's important. 
as we're going to talk about these words submission and authority, is to know this, is that both of those things together, authority and vulnerability, have to be there in any person who's flourishing. That is the call of the Christian life. So what that means is submission is not the absence of authority. And headship, as Paul describes it, is not the absence of vulnerability. Both of those things are always there. What is happening, actually, is God in His economy is calling us to lay aside one of those for the sake of another. And we're going to work that concept out here in a little bit. But we are called in the different spheres of our lives to oftentimes either lay aside what is rightfully given to us or to even take up another's uh, vulnerability for for the sake of that person. Alright, that's the thread that runs through Paul's discussion on marriage and his discussion on parenting and his discussion on uh, household relations with servants and masters. Again, you can work that out, I hope, in your community groups. We're going to jump in specifically into talking about marriage this morning. And I want to focus really on that and, and really try to work out what does this idea of vulnerability and authority, how do we deal with that in this particular sphere that Paul has given to us in marriage. And so we're going to talk about husbands and about wives. That's where we're going to spend our time on this morning. We'll start with husbands. Paul starts with wives, but he gives most of the time to husbands. So we're going to start there. And there are two real main commands or imperatives that Paul gives us here as husbands. The way that Christian husbands are supposed to act with their wives. And, And you could sum it up by saying this, is that we as husbands are to be engaged servant leaders... And we are to be active, sacrificial lovers. Okay, so Christian husbanding is engaged servant leadership and active, sacrificial love. Listen uh, to verses 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And in in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So first of all, we have this idea of headship, and Paul has used this word a few times. In uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, he talks about Jesus as being head over all things. That's uh, chapter 1, verse 22. And then if you remember in chapter 4, Paul talks about Christians growing up into the head, into their head who is Jesus. So we're supposed to actually mature into being looking like the head, the leader. And then now he says Jesus is the head of the church. So he's used it a few times to describe Jesus. And it's, it's, it's a word that means authority. Jesus is being described as one who is the head, who is uh, in authority, who is the leader of the church and really of the world. So if Paul is saying that Christian husbands are supposed to imitate Jesus in leadership, in headship, we need to figure out how does Jesus lead. How does Jesus talk about leading, and how does Jesus uh, lead in the things that he does in the Bible? Well, I could, give you, I could give you hundreds of references, but here's a couple. Things that Jesus says. Mark 9, Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be first must be the last. And in just a chapter next, Jesus says this, is that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then if you read in John, in the Gospel of John, as he's gathering his disciples uh, before the Last Supper in the upper room there, the first thing he does is he gets down and he washes their feet. On his knees, like a servant, 
That word servant even is the same one that Paul uses here to talk about servants in the household. And Jesus actually lays himself down in front of his disciples and he washes their feet. He washes the mud off of their feet. They've been walking in sandals through muddy streets most of the day. So we have Jesus not only saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of mine, and this is what I came to do, and now he's saying, let me show you that by getting down and serving you. That is the essence of leadership in the Bible, is service. In fact, if you, if you, if you did a survey of all, the, all, all of the positive examples of leadership in the Bible, you would find that at the core, that it's service. It's service to another. And that is the way that Jesus actually calls husbands to lead their wives, to lead them in service. He also calls us to do that in a way that is engaged, that is active, that is there and present. This is more implicit in the text, but if you are going to serve somebody, you have to be present with that person. Remember kind of that bottom quadrant down here? No authority, no vulnerability. The picture of a person who is just simply detached from life. We said that was kind of the the 31-year-old living in in the parents' basement. Well, guess what? That's actually all too often a picture of husbanding, too. We have what I would say probably an epidemic in our country of absentee husbanding. Of husbands who instead of being engaged to serve their wives and their families are either absent physically or are detached emotionally and have no ability actually to kind of enter in. The opposite, of course, with that is, is, is violent interaction. And sometimes you get both, right? You get absenteeism, and then whenever there is engagement, it's engaged with violence. But so oftentimes, in our families, we have husbands who have just simply removed themselves, either physically or emotionally. And they're kind of on cruise control. And there's this, this thought that's kind of run through our minds as men, I think, for a long time. That what it means to be a leader or what it means to be the head of my family, what it means to be in charge somehow means that I just kind of get to sit around on a couch with a remote control and a beer. And that's what it means, right? That is disengagement, friends. It truly is. And that is not what Christian husbands are called to. They're called to presence, to engagement, to being in it with their families. Engaged, servant, leadership. The second thing he talks about, and it's super explicit, right? In verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's talking about active, sacrificial love. That is what husbands are called to. That is the primary command then to husbands, to actively and sacrificially love their wives. Now, what do I mean by that word active? Well, oftentimes in our culture, again, we, when we hear the word love, we think feeling. We think love is kind of this warm feeling that I have for somebody else. Well, if you read through the Bible, there's plenty of feelings of love. There's a whole biblical book devoted to it. But when the command comes to love, it's not talking about feeling. It's talking about action. Husbands are called to love in action their wives. Now, the hope, of course, is that the feeling is there as well. But you know what? Very oftentimes the feeling follows the action. The action doesn't follow the feeling. It's actually the feeling that follows the action. And what is being called upon of Christian husbands here is active love toward their wives and love that looks like the laying down of a life for another. Just the words that Paul used 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then the goal, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water. The goal in this act of sacrificial love is that actually so our wives might be built up, might be honored, might be sanctified. That the Holy Spirit actually works in Christian husbands laying down their lives for their wives. The Holy Spirit is at work making them more like Jesus. That's the goal, is that we want to see our wives be more glorified, more beautified, made more wonderful, to be made to look more like Jesus, to be lifted up and honored and cherished, Paul goes on to say. The goal is of honoring our wives and seeing them made more wonderful and more like Christ. Husbands, I hope, I hope you feel the weight of that. If that doesn't sound weighty, you haven't been paying attention. (laughs) And wives, let me just ask you, um, pray for us. That is a big weight. As we've already confessed in this service, our tendency as men is to turn into ourselves. It's not to sacrifice. It's not to lay our lives down for others. It's actually to lay everybody else's life down for me. That's my tendency. Pray that the Lord would actually make us those who are more like Jesus in the way that we love our wives. Pray that for your husbands. Pray that for me. Pray that for all of us. Alright, let's turn uh, to wives now. This is the way that Paul starts it. In verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And then if you kind of uh, go down to, to verse 33, the end of this passage, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we could kind of summarize this as, as voluntary Christ-like submission and God-like honoring. That's the call to the wives. Voluntary, Christ-like submission and God-like honoring. Now, what do I mean as I say voluntary, Christ-like submission? Well, first of all, he says, submit yourselves, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the motivation there is actually to be serving the Lord, to be submitting yourself to Jesus. This is simply the arena in which it's played out. It's the arena, actually, of marriage where we see uh, wives being enabled to submit themselves to Christ. Listen to this. Sinclair Ferguson says it a lot better than I can. Our primary and absolute submission is to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's for everybody. Here, in talking to believers, Paul urges wives to express that in their disposition toward and relationship to their husbands. In other other words, uh, one way in which... God calls wives to follow Jesus is in following their husbands. It is the expression of their submission to Christ that is worked out in this particular area of marriage. Now, I want you to just really briefly note what is not said, because sometimes we can get really confused here. Uh, A couple of things that are not said. One, what is not said is women submit yourselves to men. That is not what Paul is talking about. Wives to your own husbands. The role is marriage. It is narrow. It is not broadly speaking about women and men. Here's another thing that's not said. Husbands, submit your wives to yourselves. 
He's not talking to husbands here. He's talking to wives. It is voluntary submission. It is the laying down, actually. Just like men are called, husbands are called to lay down their lives for their wives. In many ways, right here, we have Paul calling wives to do the same thing. To lay down their their lives for their husbands that they might be honored. Now, why in the world would you want to do this? <laughs> why in the world would a wife want to do this? Well, here's one answer to this. Is that that kind of submission actually imitates God. Remember last week we talked about this idea of imitating God. God says, I mean, Paul says in, in the beginning of chapter 5, okay, here's kind of the summary of, of, of a lot of it. This is what we want to do is that Christians are supposed to imitate God. And one of the ways that we imitate God, Paul says here in a verse before this that we didn't read, is in submitting to yourself, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That idea of submission is actually a part of imitating God. That may sound super weird to you, but just think about this for a second. Jesus is talked about in Scripture as being fully God. He is the one to whom all glory should be given. He is the one whom John says has created the world. Paul says in Colossians that the fullness of deity dwelt with him. Uh, we, Jesus, as we said a couple of weeks ago in the Nicene Creed, uh, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. So we have Jesus Christ as God and full of all glory. Worthy of all honor and praise. But what does Jesus do in the garden of Gethsemane before he's about to die? He prays, Father, will you take this away from me? But not my will, your will. Jesus voluntarily submits himself to the Father's will. So we have one who is of complete deity submitting himself to another person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit acts in some of the same way. He is sent by Jesus. He's not subservient. He's still God. One God in three persons, but he's sent by Jesus. He proceeds, as we say in the Creed, from the Father and the Son. So we have in the Trinity itself this incredible combination of, uh, of submission and honor all together, and it doesn't take any value away from any of them. It doesn't take any divinity away from any of them. And so, wives, as you read this, you are being asked to act like Jesus. Act like Jesus in the way that you submit to your husbands is what Paul says here. That's a pretty beautiful thing. He sums it up again in, in verse 33. Wives, respect your husbands. Give them the public and private honor that builds them up. Present them in the best light you possibly can. And in doing so, you will honor Jesus. Now let's just talk for a second about why this is hard. Okay, so this is this is hard for uh, for both husbands and wives. Uh, in fact, again, Paul goes on, uh, you know, many, 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 many more words talking about husbands and the way that they are supposed to lay down their lives for their wives. But this is especially hard, I think, for for women and for wives in our culture. The culture in which this was written um, was really a pretty different one than ours is. Women probably would have gotten married somewhere around 14 is the best evidence we have. is probably the median age. And they probably would have married a man who's 10 to maybe 20 years older. And like average lifespan was like 35. Lots of women died in childbirth. So you have all of these very young women who are marrying usually older men. And so everything kind of just... It works out. It worked itself out okay in the culture. We live in a very different place, right? Where most women get married, I think the median age now is like 26, and the lifespan is 80. 
And so we have a very different situation. And women now, uh, the career opportunities and, and societal engagement is so different now than it was at that time. Now I want you to hear me say this really cl- plainly. I don't think the meaning of this text changes because we're in a different culture. However, I do think that it's going to make it harder. I do think in some ways it makes it more difficult for women these days, for wives. Because also, we are, wives and husbands, battling a culture that says, you know what, there's no way that you can have value and be submissive. Those two things just can't go together. Our culture does not have any kind of framework for how those could go together. Likewise with husbands, our culture basically says there's no way you can have authority and lay your life down. Authority and sacrifice, that just doesn't really go together. This is incredibly difficult to work out in our culture because we oftentimes are told over and over, those are things that just can't, we just can't put together. But friends, in the, the economy of the gospel, that is exactly the way it works. Is that headship does not cancel out uh, our ability to be vulnerable. And submission does not cancel out our ability to have authority. It's just the way that it works in the gospel. We're going to close with this, just talking about, thankfully, Jesus. This is the, the, the fun one to talk about. I hope you, I hope you saw a couple things, first of all. Um, and I realize I've been a little more teachy uh, in this sermon. We've just kind of been going through some of the, the mechanics a little bit more. But I hope you saw this. Is that the call to wives and husbands is the same in honoring their spouse. Did you, did you pick up on that? Is that the submission that wives are called to is in order that their husbands might be honored. And the sacrifice that husbands are called to is in order that their wives might be honored. Did I say that wrong? You get it. There's mutual honor and respect there. Did you also pick this up? That both husband and wife are called to play the role of Jesus? Husbands are to lay down their lives just like Jesus laid down his life for the church. Wives are called to submit to their husband just like Jesus submitted to his father. We actually both get to play the role of Jesus. And friends, more importantly, we both are going to need Jesus in this endeavor. To be able to lay your life down for another, to pour out yourself in a way that works against every fabric of your being that says, I'd rather pour into myself, that that cannot happen unless the Holy Spirit is working in your life. That cannot happen without utter dependence on Christ. To be able to lay down your own desires and to submit to a husband cannot happen without the Holy Spirit at work in your life. It cannot happen without utter dependence on Jesus. To be able to say, I'm going to give up my particular place of authority here cannot happen unless the Lord is working. But friends, that idea of authority and vulnerability... The greatest of all authority, the one who created the universe, the one to whom every knee shall bow, took on the greatest vulnerability when he put on our flesh and made himself one of us. That is what we see in Christ. High authority, high vulnerability. That is what he has called us to as followers. Husbands, wives, single people, children, widows, 
whoever you are, that is what God has called us to. To be those who put aside the things that God has even given us that we could rightfully claim in order that we might lay ourselves down for another. And this is the power for marriage and for life uh, in the world today. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for, um, for your word. Even when sometimes it's confusing, even when sometimes it's hard, even when we don't um, totally understand things, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you as well that you, as the one in whom all authority rests, have taken on vulnerability that we might be saved. Not only, not just that we might be saved to kind of have a spot sometime in the future in heaven, but Lord, that we might actually be saved now. That you would transform our lives, our marriages, our friendships. That you would transform our relationships with our neighbors. That we might be made more like Christ. That we might take on a better understanding of what it means to embody the authority that you've given us as human beings created in your image and the vulnerability that you've given us as human beings called to lay ourselves down for one another. Will you show us how to do that this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.